Well, I had a couple of weeks of going to conferences, and uh, I want to tell you a story of one of the experiences I had at one of them. We listened to a speaker. His name is Ken Sandy. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with Peacemakers. Um, it's a ministry of Christian mediation, which is a it's been a powerful ministry, and uh, we got to listen to him give us a seminar. Uh, Ken Sandy's background is he was an engineer, and then he uh, went to law school and got his law degree. And as he graduated from his law degree, he decided that he wanted to go into Christian ministry and use his legal training, so he went into Christian mediation. And he's had the privilege of uh, working with over 6,000 individuals and churches and solving internal conflicts. And so we learned a lot about uh, solving conflicts together from him. Well, everybody at our conference stayed at the same hotel. And, uh, you know, when hotels feed breakfast in the morning, uh, everyone goes down to have breakfast. And if you're all going to the same conference, everyone goes to breakfast at the same time. So we filled up the breakfast cafe, and there wasn't any place to sit. And so if you found a chair... Uh, you would just invade the conversation of people that were at the table. And so one morning I got my breakfast and I was looking around for a place to sit. And I saw an empty chair at this table, so I introduced myself to the two gentlemen that were sitting there and barged in on the conversation. And I listened to them talk, and one of them said, Well, you know, I'm an elder at this church. And, uh, you know, he was talking about the struggles of being an elder and I said, oh, well, this was our interim pastor training. I said, so are you planning to become an interim pastor? And uh, he says, no, he says, uh, he says I'm an engineer and uh, a lawyer. And I said, oh, just like Ken Sandy. And he looked at me and he goes, I am Ken Sandy. <laughs> and I just kind of shrunk underneath the table, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, that has to be one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. I share that story because it's important for us to learn to laugh at ourselves. And uh, the message today is a message that I think it's important for us to laugh at ourselves with because today we're talking about breaking the chains of what the Bible calls gluttony. Breaking the chains of gluttony. That's the last slide. Um, I want to start with the first slide. <laughs> so, uh, there we go. When you hear gluttony, you get all kinds of gross images. And these are some images that we hear when we think about gluttony. You know, these are, these are images from a day gone by where you think of, don't you think of these pictures when you see gluttony? I mean, it's just these gross Pictures of the. I want you to realize that in our day, this issue of gluttony is way more subtle than this. Much of the time, gluttony is simply a silent sin. It's so easy for us to look around and make assumptions. The truth is, is that gluttony is not necessarily tied to body shape. Sometimes it's a consequence, but there are lots of factors that play into body shape. There are medical issues. There are mental health issues. There are heredity issues. The issue is with gluttony is being chained to food. It's not about body shape. And people can be chained to food and appear really fit. 
So as we begin this study, try not to look around and let's laugh at ourselves. Let's laugh at ourselves. Doctor said to his patient, how is it that you've gained weight since our last appointment? Patient says, well, I guess it just snacked up on me. Boo. Two ladies were talking. How did you go from a size 8 to a size 16? She said, well, I just ate and ate. (laughs) Just remember, old gluttons never die. They just waste away. You didn't get that one. That's okay. I want to affirm to you, though, that food is a blessing from God. Isn't it? It's a blessing from God. Remember the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's going to be one of the highlights of our last journey before we enter into the new heaven. It's about food. It's a blessing for us. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11, before the communion celebration, the church would gather together for a huge potluck. They'd call it the love feast. Jewish wedding celebrations. They focused around the banquet afterwards. Jesus went to dinner after dinner after dinner, and the legalistic Pharisees said, all you do is eat, you must be a glutton. Of course, Jesus wasn't a glutton, because he celebrated life around food. Old Testament celebrations of feasts, they often lasted several days where they'd gather together and they'd eat for three or four days. There seems to be an association of food with rejoicing, food with fellowship, even with worship. What do we call our communion celebration? The Lord's Supper. So food is a blessing from God, but as with all blessings from God, They can be abused. And when we abuse food, that's gluttony. Very simple definition of gluttony. The abuse of food. What I'd like to discuss today is three ways that we can abuse food and fall into the sin of gluttony. First, gluttony can be a habitual abuse of food similar to drug addiction. Now, think about this. People can be addicted to food. In general, addicts will overlook everything in order to get their fix. Sometimes they manipulate their circumstances in order to indulge their drug addiction. Same thing happens to us with food. Abusing food is similar to abusing drugs. There are extremes of food abuse that manifest in eating disorders. We're not going to talk about eating disorders this morning. Um, I would suggest, though, that if that's your case or somebody that you know and love, there is great hope that in Christ, with the help of a support system, with the help of godly counselors and the help of Christian principles, food disorders can be overcome. But apart from eating disorders, we need to remind ourselves how easy it is to fall into addictive food abuse, craving it, organizing our day around it, dreaming of that New York strip steak or that triple dip ice cream cone. Now, there's nothing wrong with a New York steak, strip steak. There's nothing wrong with an ice cream cone. The problem is abusing them. And when the craving and consuming of food turns into irrational behavior, 
consider that gluttony. Consider the story of Esau and Jacob in Genesis 25, verses 30 to 34. Esau was out hunting, and he came in from hunting, and his brother Jacob was cooking his favorite stew. I don't think that was a coincidence, but um, it happened. And it was a particular kind of stew that, that Esau just loved this stew. And Esau came in from hunting. He said, Jacob, I'm famished. Give me some of that red stew. Now, if you know your Bible history, the Hebrew word red sounds like Edom. And Esau is the founder of what we call the Edomites. And so Esau uh, saw that red stew and he said to Jacob, i got to have some of that. And here's what Jacob said. First, some of your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright for food. He was addicted to that red stew, so much so that he acted totally irrationally, gave away his birthright just to get his fix. That's what I'm talking about, as food can sometimes be an addiction for us, some types of food. In Esau's case, it was the red stew. C.S. Lewis wrote a, just a classic series of stories, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Parents, if you have not read the Chronicles of Narnia to your children, you need to do it. Um, I sat down with my son when he was little, and we read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he didn't want to go to bed, so we read the whole thing. It took all night. <laughs> he just got so engrossed in it. But one of the things in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was a story of uh, these four children who uh, were sent to their eccentric uncle's house uh, because of the bombing in London during, during the bombing. Narnia was an enchanted land that was under the spell of a wicked queen, and uh, there was perpetual winter in Narnia. There was no Christmas. And there was a prophecy that four humans would come to Narnia and rescue the land and defeat the queen. And so these four children during World War II went to their uncle's house and they played in this stand-up wardrobe, which is like a closet. And as they were playing in this wardrobe, they discovered a trap door and it led into this enchanted place called Narnia. Well, one of the children went back to um, this closet by himself and entered into Narnia and the wicked queen on her sleigh uh, came up to him and brought him into her sleigh and said, you must be cold. Here's something warm to drink. And so he drank something warm. And then this is the conversation that they had. She said, it is dull, son of Adam, to drink without eating, the queen said presently. Would you like, what would you like best to eat? Turkish delight, please, your majesty, said Edmund. Doesn't that look delicious, Turkish delight? The queen let a drop fall on her, from her bottle to the snow. 
And instantly there appeared a round box tied with green silk ribbon, which when opened turned out to contain several pounds of the best Turkish delight. Each piece was sweet and light to the very center, and Edmund had never tasted anything more delicious. It was quite warm, and now he was very comfortable. Once totally enraptured with Turkish delight, Edmund promises the queen that when he has opportunity, he will bring his brothers and sister with him to the queen. And of course, her plan was to kill them because they were the four who would break the spell of Narnia. Edmund was so enraptured with Turkish delight, he sold out his brothers. He sold out his sister, just like Esau sold out his birthright. Researchers at Yale University's Rudd Center for Food Science and Policy have developed a questionnaire to identify people who abuse food. They end up eating more than they planned when they started eating. They keep eating even if they're no longer hungry. They worry about not eating or worry about cutting down on food. When it isn't available, they go out of their way to obtain it. The questionnaire also asks about withdrawal symptoms. For example, when you cut down on certain foods, do you have symptoms like anxiety, agitation, can't sleep, can't concentrate? Doctors suggest that people might experience the law of diminishing returns with their food cravings. So they eat more and more and more, and it takes more to satisfy them, so they crave it. You see, God gave us food for our enjoyment. For our nourishment, but he did not intend food to control us. And when food controls us, like it did Esau, then I would suggest that's gluttony. Second, gluttony is the emotional use of food in order to cope with life. The emotional use of food. We need to laugh at ourselves here, folks. Now, come on, laugh at ourselves. When a person is lonely, what do we do? We eat. When a person is anxious or upset, what do we do? Eat. When a person is worried or sad or depressed, we eat. When a person suffers, we eat. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction because their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. See, Paul here is addressing the fact that everything that is placed at a higher level of significance than God is an idol. And here he describes those who put food before God. God is their stomach, he says. And that makes them enemies of the cross. The idolatry is a state of mind and it's a source of emotional distress because we have our comfort food. What's your comfort food? My comfort food is Doritos. Chips. 
And I just, it's my comfort food. Jay Leno's Uncle Louie's Chicken Wings. He's Jay Leno. Jimmy Carter, Baked Grits and Cheese. Justin Timberlake, Granny's Coconut Cake. Carrie Underwood has comfort food. No Guilt Veggie Pizza. Miranda Lambert, Raspberry Lemon Yogurt Bread. None of these things is bad in themselves. Chips are not bad in themselves. What's the challenge to us is when we turn to them instead of God, when we're in trouble. Now, it's understandable that we might fall into this trap because food tastes good. And when we're suffering, when we're struggling, we want something good to happen. I mean, you know, life is going really terrible. I need something good to happen to me. So we turn to our comfort food. The problem is, is that when we turn to food instead of God, we miss what God wants to do for us by allowing or bringing that stress into our lives in the first place. And so, if we turn to food instead of God, His purpose in our life is derailed. And that means that we are putting earthly things before God, and that my friends, is one of the ways we fall into the sin of gluttony. So not only is there the habitual abuse of food, not only is there the emotional use of food, third, gluttony abuses the body. And I would suggest to you that that's disrespectful of the Holy Spirit. How do you get that, preacher? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. So how do we we abuse our bodies with food? and thereby disrespect the Holy Spirit. Well, first, excessive eating, eating too much. When we overeat or overindulge, we're literally drunk on food. Now, think with me what happens after you eat too much. You get up from a meal, and you're totally bloated, and you feel uncomfortable, and you feel, I just don't, oh, man, I just, you know... I can't do anything. I'm immobilized. You can't carry on a good conversation. You can't think straight. All you do is loosen your belt. You lie down and take a nap. Isn't that what drunk people do? Yeah, it is what drunk people do. We're in a carbohydrate coma. (laughs) It's not good for us. just is not good for us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And a person trapped in eating too much all the time eats until we literally kill ourselves. Now, the food industry is, is continually promoting selling more food. And so they create meals. Applebee's has the 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock hour half-price appetizers. Now, they get us because it's half-price. Say, well, anything half price, I'm going to do it. What you're doing is you're creating a fourth meal. We're eating more and more and more. There are serious health risks 
associated with overeating. Excessive weight gain, depression, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, all related to overeating, too much food. But not only is there excessive eating too much, there is sumptuous eating too rich. (laughs) This is unwise eating. This is eating what we want whenever we want, especially high in calories and low in nutrition. High in sugar and fat, processed foods with added chemicals, deep fried too much, Nothing wrong with these things, but when we do too much of it, that can fall into gluttony. One dietitian writes, uh, if the label says it doesn't expire, (laughs) don't eat it. (laughs) If it's wrapped in shrink wrap, don't eat it. Why is that? Because shrink wrap does not protect and keep food fresh. And so if it's wrapped in shrink wrap, guess what it's made out of? Preservatives and chemicals. If you don't know what plant or animal it came from, that, that's just creepy. <laughs> Aim to get your fill of fresh whole fruits and vegetables. I'm sounding like a nutritionist here today. I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to help us understand that we can fall into something that the Bible says is unhealthy for us and it's, it's sinful to our relationship with God. Too much, too rich eating is abusive to our bodies and that means that we are disrespecting the Holy Spirit who lives within us and our temple is, and, and, and our bodies are his temple. Well, this is a series where I've suggested to you that in order for us to overcome the chains of sinful living, we practice the lifestyle of repentance. And just to review, repentance is if we recognize we're going in a direction that God doesn't want us to, we stop, we turn from it, and then we begin to go the other direction. And so how do we do that when we think about food, when we think about abusing food? Well, I would suggest to us that eating with self-control is the discipline that protects us from gluttony. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. And listen to how the Apostle Paul encourages us to live lives of self-control. Now remember, this series is not necessarily about sin. This series is about healthy Christian living. And so healthy Christian living applies especially to this particular issue. Verse 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who completes, who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I strike a blow to my body. 
and I make my body my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The theme of this passage is self-control and discipline. The misuse of food is similar to struggles with the other of the deadly sins that we've been discussing. But this one, I think, is particularly important because we all have to eat. I mean, if you don't eat, you won't live. You have to eat. So how do we eat? Eat with self-control. So I'd like to suggest two helps from this passage, and one of them is really obvious. We learn to focus on, on more on Christ than we do on food. In verse 26... Paul says, we need to recognize that we are to obtain an imperishable prize. And so our discipline with food is focusing on that which God says is imperishable. I suggest that the way to control physical cravings and to nurture an appetite for higher cravings. And then that craving will uh, be a ready alternative to the cravings that we have if Food is a particular challenge to us. But I'd like to discuss one other lifestyle, I think, that particularly applies to this issue of abusing food and helps us understand what is self-control. And that is the discipline of fasting. The practice of fasting. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Now, how do I get fasting out of that? Well, it's not specifically fasting. But disciplining my body and keeping it under control. Paul says so that my body is my slave, not the other way around. I do commend those who... Observe Lent by making a conscious decision to give something up for Lent. I think that's a really good thing to do. Why not make that part of our lifestyle? Why not make it part of our lifestyle to think about times in our lives when we just give up something that's a natural appetite? Why would we do that? Because we are training our body that our body does not call the shots. We call the shots. And when my body is hungry during a fast, I say, sorry, body, I got a higher pursuit right now. You are my slave. I am not your slave. What's the deal about this fasting? Well, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 6, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, you've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, as I read that passage, it seems like Jesus is just assuming that fasting is part of our lifestyle. When you fast. And so I would suggest to you that it's a good thing for us as Christians to practice self-denial in the area of food and drink. 
somehow work it into your lifestyle. Because as we pursue disciplining our body, guess what we're going to do? We're going to avoid falling into the misuse of food, and we're going to avoid the sin of gluttony. On the days that I fast, we have a prayer and fasting group that meets on Tuesdays, and uh, we fast lunch. And then we get together and pray for an hour, and then we break our fast with soup. And on those days, I'm continually reminded that I'm hungry. And my body craves food. And one of the things that happens to me when that happens is I think to myself, do I crave God that much? And it reminds me to think about what is the most important thing in my life? Desiring God. And so not only am I disciplining my body and telling my body, no, you're not going to make me your slave. I'm going to make you my slave. I'm also motivated to be reminded that, you know, I need to, I need to continue to practice devotion to God so that he is the most important pursuit of my life. And when I do that, not only will I gain control over my eating, but I'll gain control over pride, envy, jealousy, materialism, all those things in life. Laziness. When I practice self-control, and it all happens when I just one day a week give up lunch and do it with brothers and sisters in Christ that encourage me in my life. So I'd encourage you to try it. Be careful if you've got medical issues. Um, I have to be very careful with my blood sugar. So, um, and I carry around my little meter and a glass of juice on Tuesdays to make sure that I, I don't abuse my body by denying too much. But be sure you're careful with it. But I encourage you to practice self-discipline by calling your body to de- be devoted to you and not you to your body. Well, back to the story of, of Edmund in Narnia. Edmund is captured by the queen who is preparing to kill him. But Aslan the lion and the queen reach an agreement in order for Edmund not to die. The arrangement requires Aslan to travel to the stone table where the queen and her horde of followers torment, humiliate, and finally kill Aslan. And the queen then explains that Aslan sacrificed his life for Edmund. And maybe you're here today, and uh, you've been thinking, you know, Scott, you've been, you've been really too personal today, and, and, you know, this is too close to home. Well, it, it was to me too, and that's, that's why I want you to know that I encourage us to laugh at ourselves a little bit with this one. But yet, be serious about it. And if this is something that you struggle with, here's great news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not beat yourself up with any of these discussions on breaking the chains of sin. Make it a matter of prayer. Realize that God's grace overshadows everything. 
And that as we think about walking in a lifestyle of repentance, know that God forgives, God restores, and God helps us establish healthy living for his honor and for his glory. And as we do, he is pleased with the lifestyle of repentance. So where are you today? Have you received God's grace? Are you struggling with condemnation? You don't have to today. You can come to Christ. You can come to God and you can say, Lord, uh, I've been listening to Scott for these several weeks and I just feel like I'm a total failure. I want to encourage you today. There's no condemnation if you're practicing a lifestyle of repentance. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I pray for everybody here today. Please protect us from self-condemnation. Please protect us from beating ourselves up. We know, Lord, that you're not shaking your, your finger at us. You're not talking down to us. You're saying to us, get back on the road. Establish a new practice. Begin to live a healthy spiritual life. Take one step. Then take another step and take another step, knowing along the way that I do not condemn you. And brothers and sisters, if God does not condemn us, neither ought we ever condemn one another. Will you receive God's grace today? Will you receive his encouragement, whether you're dealing with pride or anger or envy or materialism or laziness? or even gluttony. And walk in the newness of life and the joy that he gives you, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who gave his own son for us, how will he not also freely give us all things in Christ? May we walk in freedom. May we walk in joy. May we realize that we're on a marathon. And as we continue to, to, to be devoted to him, he will come alongside of us and give us his grace. Lord, may we bask in your grace today, receiving your love and encouragement. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.